Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are Cormac Weldon, Manager of Artemis US Select Fund, and Mary McDougall, Personal Finance Writer at Investors Chronicle. As the coronavirus outbreak began to spread across the world earlier this year, many investors adopted a cautious approach. But Stephen Yu, Manager of LF Blue Whale Growth, a global equities fund, seems to have done the opposite. Mary, you spoke to Stephen recently. So what has he done and why? Hi, Leonora. Yes, I spoke to Stephen this week to introduce the fund. Blue Whale Capital is a small, concentrated global equities fund that invests in large companies and developed markets. And while the fund is overweight US tech stocks, he looks very closely at valuations. And entering this year, he had 13% of the fund in cash because he was wary of high valuations. But by the end of March, he had invested nearly all of it. Um, Most of the capital was deployed by topping up companies that he already owned. Microsoft took the lion's share of that. He invested it when it was down 25% in March because he thought the valuation was looking very attractive. And at that point, Microsoft was down in line with the market. But his models were pricing in earnings downgrades to be significantly less than the wider market. And sure enough, since then, Microsoft's share price has bounced back and pretty much to pre-crisis levels. So while it's not as attractive now, he does still think that Microsoft is attractive on a relative basis. Okay. Now, um, Stephen seems quite focused on company valuations. Why? Yeah, so he's determined to have the best performing fund. So he doesn't want to buy overpriced stocks in a nutshell. But one of the things that distinguishes the Blue Eye Growth Fund from others is that they aim to outperform their sector, which is the Investment Association global sector, average over every 12-month period, which they have done since launch in 2017. So while he hopes to hold companies for the long term, he's also looking for strong near-term performance. Um, And he would say that valuations help you predict this and achieve this. So over the past six months, the fund's up 8% and the sector average is down 6%. So it's a strategy that seems to have worked. So far. Okay, so um, what else have Mr. Yu's focus on valuations uh, resulted in? Um, well, he sold some of his holdings. Uh, the fund only has 25 stocks. Um, he sold out of LVMH and Intercontinental Hotels over the crisis. He thinks that they're good businesses that will succeed in the long term, but he's worried that there's too much uncertainty over how quickly people will start going on holiday again or splash out on luxury goods. Um, He and his team have built conservative earnings forecast models, which suggest that these companies will fall short of market consensus. So he thinks they're likely to underperform and and sell out. Okay. now um, we talked a lot about valuations, but, um, you know, what are the other main things that uh, uh, Mr. Yu's investment approach involves? Uh, So in a nutshell, he's looking to invest in high quality businesses at attractive prices. it's a concentrated large cap portfolio. The average market cap is over $100 billion. Um, so liquidity is really important to him when he wants to buy stocks at, at the right time. They don't, they don't buy any broker research. We have a team of five analysts, which is quite big for a fund, so, for a fund of its size. It's only $300 million. Um, and they do all the research themselves. And Stephen says that this is really important for the success of the fund. Um, and it's a large reason why 
he and Peter Hargreaves set up the company on their own as they wouldn't be allowed so much resource if they were part of a big firm. Um, about three quarters of the fund is invested in the US and it's overweight tech stocks, which make up 60%, and healthcare, consumer staples and consumer discretionary companies make up most of the rest of it. Okay, so it's very focused on a few areas. Why doesn't he like, um, you know, quite quite large swathes of the market? Yeah, so there are quite um, there are quite a few sectors they don't touch for for different reasons. So one's banking, uh, which they don't deem as transparent enough. Um, they avoid cyclical companies such as oil and gas, mining, and chemicals um, because of the late stage we're at in the cycle. And they don't they don't invest in pharmaceutical or biotechnology companies, um, which lots of people are interested in at the moment, because they don't think they have um, sufficient expertise in this area, um, and they don't think that they can add particular value in those stocks. And, and while they're um, while technology is a dominant theme in the fund, there are some areas of the digital transformation that he says he wouldn't touch. Um, he gave Netflix as an example because although its top line growth is strong, he doesn't see how the company will generate high returns over the long term um, because content's expen- expensive to create or buy and it's competing with the likes of Amazon, Disney and HBO. Okay, thank you, Mary. And see this week's Investors Chronicle or the website for her full interview of Stephen Yu, lead manager of LF Blue Will Grove Fund. For a number of years, many active funds have struggled to consistently beat mainstream U.S. equity indices such as S&P 500. But Artemis U.S. Select Fund, which is run by today's guest Cormac Weldon, has done exactly that since launch in 2014. So Cormac, how have you managed to beat the S&P 500? Well, I think our our approach is to be uh, quite pragmatic. Uh, And by that, we mean we certainly take a view of um, what the economy is doing. That's obviously very important more recently. Uh, But then also, um, uh, when we're stock picking, we we pay pay a lot of attention to downside risk. So a lot of of, uh, outperforming is avoiding really bad underperformers. So so when we're looking at an individual stock, we want, uh, on the basis of our analysis, uh, to see a stock where, in our view, the upside greatly outweighs the downside risk to the stock. Um, so we've a, 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 a team of nine people looking at the U.S. with seven analysts dedicated uh, to individual sectors. So, so the shorter answer to your question is through stock picking, is picking good stocks with good risk rewards uh, and benefiting from, uh, from the analysis we put into them. Okay. Now, um, you obviously, um, you know, I've compared you to that index, but, um, you know, uh, you certainly um, aren't tracking that index. So, I mean, what percentage of the fund's holdings are not included in the S&P 500? And to what extent do you invest off benchmark? Yeah, first of all, there there are no limits to which we could go off benchmark, but it's typically around 15 to 20 percent. But again, these these companies wouldn't necessarily be very small companies. It's not necessarily uh, that that they're tiny companies that they're off benchmark. Um, 
the average market capitalization of this fund is is very large. We invest in uh, a lot of the mega cap stocks. So so um, yes, we're uh, able to go off benchmark. Off benchmark, but uh, it's our performance is partly about some of our stock picking off benchmark, but a lot of it is about our stock picking in very large stocks too. Okay, so I mean, what has contributed to performance more recently? Um, and do you think you'll beat the S and P five hundred again this year? Um, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I'm not able to answer that. I'm not allowed to answer that question. Uh, but so far, we are beating the S and P five hundred, um, and it's it's a a mixture of some of the better growth companies with which are in our portfolio. As, as we all know, there's a huge debate over whether growth should outperform value. Um, we have a pragmatic approach and want to position our portfolios in the right grouping of stocks to achieve outperformance. And that has been, in the early part of the year, uh, we were positioned in high-quality companies, by, by which we mean uh, companies with relatively low indebtedness, and a degree of predictability about their returns, as well as some higher growth companies. Uh, so year to date, it's it's been uh, the likes of Amazon has done very well for us. Um, that was a, a stock we added to uh, during the during the downturn. We thought they would benefit from uh, from uh, uh, the current period we're going through, as an example, uh, and also some of the safer stocks. We own a government contractor called Booz uh, Booz Allen that's also done very well for us. Okay, um, and um, more generally, now that U.S. equity markets are more volatile, let's say, and aren't just going up in a nice steady pattern, do you think that um, more active U.S. equity funds um, in general will have a better chance of beating U.S. indices? Uh, they should do. Yes, I mean, I mean, it, it, you're right. Um, the argument had been that um, that the market had become dominated. By a certain group of stocks. Uh, we always thought that argument was overstated. Um, people were looking at the S&P 500 and looking at the big stocks there. But there were plenty of other companies doing very well. Uh, but, but nonetheless, um, I, I, we would imagine in this, uh, in this period where there's greater volatility, there's uncertainty, um, and uh, that, that active manager should do better. Okay. Now, turning to your investment approach, you describe it as flexible and say that you change the focus as the economic and market cycle change to deliver returns in different conditions. So can you explain a bit more about how this works? Yeah, um, maybe if I could just characterize our our approach Mm -hmm. to others. Others label themselves as either growth investors or value investors. Uh, and, and typically those two styles don't perform well at the same time. Um, our view is, is to give our clients value for money. Uh, we should attempt to perform well, irrespective of what the environment is dictating. So, so if it's a good growth environment where growth companies are doing well, like the last number of years, um, it's it's our job to recognize that and to be in the right companies to uh, to achieve the outperformance. Um, on the other hand, um, as many commentators have been talking about how cheap value is today and how cheap value stocks are, and perhaps there's an opportunity for value to outperform. Uh, if that's the case, and if we read 
reach that conclusion, uh, we would want to be there as well. We would want to be represented in those stocks and to outperform. So it, it's, it's, our pragmatism is really just about judging where we, what, what type of stocks, what type of companies uh, we want to be in and, and representing them there. But again, uh, it's all about stock picking in the end of the day. If we identify that value is the right place to be, we have to pick the right value stocks. They don't all perform together. So, so our analysis and stock picking and judging the downside risk is, is a key part of our process. Okay. Now, have you changed your investment process in any way as a result of the coronavirus pandemic and consequent effects on markets? No, our process hasn't changed. No, our, our, and again, we we deliberately design our process to be an all weather, uh, all market mm-hmm. environment type of process. So, so no, that hasn't changed at all. Uh, it's still evaluating upside downside risk in stocks uh, and and judging. Um, um, uh, judging the, the, the economic conditions we're looking at. Um, uh, so the process hasn't changed. Some of the inputs have changed, that's for sure. Uh, and perhaps I, I should touch on those. Um, yeah. Certainly, as, as, we, as we came into this year, we, we were positioned well for, for what turned out to be something we hadn't forecast. We hadn't forecast the impact uh, that the virus would have uh, and, and the mass shutdown of the economy. We certainly hadn't forecast that. Uh, yeah, but but from the point of view, as as we went through the, the as we went through um, uh, the realization of what was happening, we did reduce some of our consumer exposure. Some of the companies we owned were going to have to close all of their doors and have no revenue, um, and we we did increase our uh, our. our uh, holdings in some of the growth companies that we thought would benefit from this environment. Uh, I mentioned Amazon earlier. Activision Blizzard was another one. And um, so, so there's some of the changes we made to positions. Okay. Now, um, you said that risk evaluations are important um, and um, you pay um, as much attention to potential financial market and economic risks um, as to investment opportunities. So in the current environment, um, are there any particular types of risks that you're on the lookout for? Yeah, uh, the, 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 I think that the biggest risk that, that, that we're uh, grappling with is uh, the impact this uh, environment has on indebted companies. Um, so uh, as we know, it was reported widely, uh, widely, a lot of companies have borrowed quite a bit of money uh, as they went through uh, the last number of years. Um, when your business slows down, as it does most, almost all businesses do in a recession, that has an impact on your profitability. Um, so we're looking at our, our companies renegotiating um, uh, their, their, their debt. Are, are some companies getting close to bankruptcy? And there's no doubt that the bankruptcy rate will increase o- over the next number of months. So, so that's one risk we're looking at. What is the impact? Not so much in the companies we own. We, we think uh, we've done our, our analysis and our downside risk. We don't expect any of our companies to go bankrupt. Uh, and as I said earlier, um, we'd already uh, coming into this year invested in lower indebted companies in our portfolio. But um, many of the companies in our portfolio are, are customers of companies that will go bankrupt. So, so we're looking at that impact that that has on 
uh, on the companies in our portfolio. So, for instance, within technology, um, um, our, our, uh, we, we've looked at our portfolio. Are some of the software companies selling exclusively to very small companies that may be at higher risk of bankruptcy? That, that's one of the risks that I think it's not unique to this period, but certainly it, it's different to a risk we were looking at, say, a year ago, where we were much less concerned about bankruptcy at that point. Okay, I mean, turning to that, um, just more generally, uh, what type of risks do you look out for? It evolves over time. Uh, you're all uh, in uh, more recently, I would say, a risk that has increased uh, versus uh, much of my period of managing US equities is political risk. Uh, the relationship of the US with um, um, uh, I think they're still allies, mostly, um, say Europe, uh, but but China uh, and and Asia uh, is evolving, uh, and with certainly with China, uh, we had a trade war, so we're evaluating that risk, and obviously we're reevaluating that risk uh, with regards to the rhetoric over uh, the coronavirus. Um, so that's one obvious risk, and also we have an election this year, so so what change that may produce. Uh, and how that will impact the companies we invest in. I think that's probably uh, the, the, the non-economic risk we're, we're, we're uh, spending most of our time on. Okay. Now, um, your approach tries to um, take into account and adapt all environments. But that said, are there any market or economic c- conditions um, in which your investment approach doesn't do so well? Um, it, it, no, it, it, well, it won't be our approach that's at fault if we don't do well. Our approach is, as you say, to to to, um, uh, uh, to, to attempt to outperform in all environments. So, so if we underperform, it's because uh, perhaps we've made, we've um, um, made mistakes in terms of our stock picking, uh, or maybe got the economy wrong and had a a, 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 a an incorrect allocation between sectors. Um, but no, our approach. Is is absolutely designed to be all weather. And uh, no, what I what I tend to say is is I will never sit in front of a client and say we've underperformed. I apologise. It's just not our type of market. It's our job to figure that out. Okay. Now the U.S. equity market was considered to be expensive. And although there have been substantial falls this year, in view of the fact that the U.S. has mass unemployment and faces a serious recession, would you say that it still is expensive? I, I, I think uh, that's fair to say. Um, and I think um, it's pro- perhaps not that surprising. Uh, at this point in time, almost irrespective of what market you're in, um, um, People are investing in in growth companies that they can that they believe and we believe will grow through this recession or at least be resilient to a recession um, and better quality companies uh, and and whether you're in the U.S. or you're in Europe, um, um, investors tend to pay a higher valuation for those. It just turns out through luck and and a lot of innovation and a lot of growth and being based in the largest economy in the world that the U.S. has an awful lot of those types of companies. So, so U.S. companies dominate the tech sector, for instance. Um, they've got a very large position in healthcare uh, and evolving healthcare, for instance. Consumer companies, you know, we could all mention a, a bunch of those where where U.S. companies dominate. So, so I think that explains most of the valuation difference between the U.S. and and other countries. Um, 
But to answer your question, uh, yes, the U.S. is relatively expensive today um, because we would expect earnings to fall during the rest of this year compared to last year. Um, and really what our focus on is looking at how rapid the recovery will be uh, from, from, those, uh, from the recession and from those earnings falls. What sort of ratings are your holdings on and oh. to what extent do you consider valuations when selecting or deciding whether to sell holdings? Yeah. Um, so for for an individual company, the, the valuation that, that the company is trading on is very important because really that is part of what dictates the share price that it goes to. Um, the other part that's very important is the fundamentals. You know, what earnings growth or what revenue growth the company has. So in an individual stock, it's it's very important that the, the individual ratings. When we look at the overall portfolio, um, our portfolio at the moment has um, higher growth than the index uh, and and better stability, better companies are, are, are delivering earnings irrespective of the economic environment. Uh, on the da- on the underweight position, we are underweight the value, the so-called value part of the market. So our companies are trading very cheaply, perhaps because they've got an awful lot of debt uh, or they really, really need the economy to be growing for them to grow. So our portfolio is at a premium to the market. Uh, but for that premium, we believe we're getting both more stability and more growth. Okay. Now, you mentioned that uh, when markets were down a bit, you added Amazon. Um, Were there any other holdings that you took the opportunity to top up or even um, did you add any new ones? Well, well, to be clear, yeah, you're, you're right. We we increased uh, Amazon. We we bought uh, Activision Blizzard uh, on the basis that uh, many people would be um, uh, playing more video games at home. Um, yes, well, one area that we focused on was in, in um, uh, technology software, uh, and really it was on on some of these smaller companies within that sector. Uh, it was interesting to us that while part of the software sector is trading at very high valuations. Um, uh, Software investors um, uh, seem to overlook software companies that are growing at 5, 10, 15%, which is viewed as mundane in the software sector, uh, and also where those companies have a high degree of predictability going forward. Uh, We're familiar with the software as a service model, which means that if I become a customer of a software company like that, I pay them every month. Um, So so when we looked at some of those companies, uh, we saw that they were trading very cheaply compared to their recurring revenue. Um, So yes, we increased uh, and we bought some of those software companies in the portfolio. Okay. And um, did you um, reduce or sell out any holdings as a result of, um, I suppose, market conditions over the past few months? We, we reduced financials. Uh, we did own, uh, we did own uh, some banks, JP Morgan and Bank America, uh, earlier in the year. Uh, that was actually one of the first decisions we made uh, when we realized um, what would happen with coronavirus. So, yes, we sold out of those, uh, out of those positions. And really, it was on the basis that this was the recession that we hadn't seen coming, but nonetheless was going to come. Uh, and when you're going into a recession, um, a number of things happens. First of all, 
demand for loans slows down over time. Obviously, people have less uh, ability to borrow money. Uh, and also those who have borrowed money in the past have less ability to pay. So, so bad debts go up. Um, so, so we thought it was better to step to the sidelines um, uh, on, on banks in particular uh, and to wait for the dust to settle, to wait to get a better view of when the economic recovery will happen. Okay, so I mean, how exposed um, is Artemis US Select to the US domestic economy? Um, and, um, you know, how, how well placed are these holdings to whether, whatever lies ahead? Well, um, it's it, it, any US any US portfolio is going to have an aspect of of global, particularly if you're investing in technology uh, and and some of the consumer sectors. Um, but but it is. I would say quite skewed to domestically. So, so the retailers we own, for instance, are more domestic uh, than than global, as an example. Um, um, but, but yeah, we 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 uh, we think it's it's really in the stock picking. So, irrespective of whether a company is global or mo- mostly domestic, it's really in the in the analysis of. What is that company selling? Is, is it a must-have today or, or a nice-to-have? And if it's nice-to-have, we're, we're, less, we're less likely to own it, whether it's global or domestic. Now, I think, as we've been saying, the economic and investment landscape has changed considerably in the past couple of months. But I suppose, you know, as well as the negative things, there probably are some opportunities possibly as well. So, I mean, which of your holdings would you say are particularly well-placed to take advantage of any possible new opportunities in the changed world? Well, I, I think um, one uh, impact of, of coronavirus, and we've seen this impact in the UK, so people will be familiar with it, is that in the, in the scramble to accommodate coronavirus patients, the healthcare system has um, cancelled many, uh, many uh, procedures that would, or would have happened otherwise. Um, so they don't want people coming into the hospitals. Obviously, there was a risk of just not having enough beds initially, um, but, but certainly then not wanting uh, healthy patients, otherwise healthy patients, coming in with a risk of, of catching coronavirus. So, so if you think about it, uh, a lot of elective surgery, you know, where it's not pressing to have it today, maybe getting a hip or a knee or whatever done, uh, can be postponed a number of months. So as we look at the healthcare sector, um, um, uh, there are other drivers of, of what we like in healthcare, but that's one opportunity. It's it's looking at when, when healthcare becomes more normal as we pass through the coronavirus period, which may be which may be over six months or maybe longer, um, but but as we, as with the UK, the US has also built up some temporary hospitals uh, like the Nightingale Hospital, for instance, here in London. So they're better able to cope with the, the coronavirus patients alongside uh, other patients. So so that's perhaps one unique opportunity that the reaction to the coronavirus ha- has thrown up. The, so it's really those healthcare companies that will benefit as um, normal healthcare procedures increase and catch what up. Be, what will be examples of um, such healthcare companies? J and J, Johnson and Johnson, or or Abbott Laboratories, quite big companies. And of any other sectors um, or types of companies that uh, you know you envisage um, perhaps taking up new opportunities. 
Well, well, we're all uh, talking to each other from our respective homes, um, so it will be interesting. But certainly, uh, from our point of view, our company had you know very sporadic working from home. People could work from home now and then, but now we've tested working from home uh, with the whole company uh, doing that, and that will place stresses on on our uh, on our technology, on the company's technology, uh, and and on our ability for people to effectively work from home. So, so there's certainly a, an opportunity. I think, first of all, we've learned that companies can absolutely, or some companies, depending on their business, can absolutely have a full work-from-home uh, environment. But also that places the emphasis on the technology changes somewhat, perhaps. So, so obviously, connections from, from homes to the office, the ability for, for the office network to have wow. 200 people logging in, uh, from home, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I think the the working environment um, and, the, and the working from home um, uh, environment uh, will will produce opportunities in in technology. There's no doubt about that. Perhaps one of the most obvious one is cloud computing, um, as an example. Which companies could you play that? Oh, well, well uh, at the very simplest level, cloud computing is is dominated by Amazon and Microsoft, uh, with Google playing catch up. Uh, they would be the the three bigger um, uh, cloud computing companies. Okay, thank you. And um, finally, um, you recently merged Artemis US Equity Fund into Artemis US Select Fund. So by how much has this increased the size of um, Artemis US Select? Um, and has it had any effect on how you run the fund? No, Artemis US Equity Fund was much, much smaller than than uh, the select fund that existed. Um, so there was in the region of fifty million pounds transferred over um, uh, into the select fund. Uh, so it was first of all there was already a high degree of commonality between the holdings, uh, and our first decision was to transfer all of those holdings into select holdings on day one. So it's had no impact on, on the management of the fund. The, the management of the fund is still consistent with how select was run before. Okay, thank you, Cormac. A really interesting insight into how to beat material markets and helpful update on the changes and opportunities in the US. That brings us to the end of today's show, but see today's Investors Chronicle or the website at www investorschronicle.co.uk for more on US equities, valuations and investment opportunities. Thank you for listening. Stay healthy and have a good weekend. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.